Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. morning. Last Sunday, we started a new series, and we are calling it what the angels announced to shepherds at the birth of Jesus. They said in the old style King James Version, behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. And we liked how that sounded, and so we decided to make that the title of our series Tidings of great joy basically means, I have some really, really good news for you. I don't know when was the last time someone turned to you and said, I got some really, really good news, news that's going to make you really excited, but it has that kind of flavor. And so with each Sunday during the season, we want to give you a different reason why Jesus coming into the world was tidings of great joy for people in different situations. And every week we want to highlight a certain situation. Last week, Calvin shared about how Jesus is really good news for barren people, for people who know the frustration of work and toil that doesn't lead anywhere. Hopefully you could relate to that. Well, today I want to talk about how the three wise men I want to explain how the coming of Jesus through the three wise men is good news to all people, not just one people group, not just to Americans, but to all tribes and to all nations. I want to hear you guys say all people. Now, I have a feeling that this is not going to be good news to you until you can relate to the feeling of being on the outside. 
not being included, being someone who has the title of other. Can you relate to that? Can you feel that? When I was a kid, I remember sitting with my brother, watching the first showing of Spider-Man. We grew up in Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek used to be a pretty much all-white experience. And so we were in the library. I remember the place. I remember the context. We were watching the first showing of Spider-Man. I was really excited. I was sitting next to my brother. And then three kids sat across the aisle. And one, you can imagine this, was just laughing hysterically. Just, I don't know. He had a case of the giggles. And he just started laughing hysterically. And his friend next to him wanted to know what he found so funny. And so I always remember him pointing to my brother and I across the aisle and going, what? What is it? What is it? Is it them? And I felt shame. What was it about us that was so funny? Was it my brother's rice bowl haircut? Was it mine? Was it my brother's incredibly short shorts that he got from Kmart? Or was it mine? Or could it be that we were both Chinese? Now, that was my first experience of racism where someone made it very clear to me and my brother that because of our race, we didn't belong. I'm wondering if you guys have ever felt that way. You can see the same attitude towards foreigners today reflected in our politics, expressed even by our sitting president. We have a sitting president who said, referring to Haiti and other African countries, why are we having all these people from S-hole countries come here? This is the president of our country expressing what a lot of people feel, which is contempt for people who are different, disdain for people who are desperate, scorn for people who are foreign. But I'm not just calling out our president. There is something inside all of us that wants to say us versus them that wants to say we're on the inside and those people, the others, they're on the outside, us versus them. There's something in human nature that just loves to build walls. Now, as we talk about the scripture today, in the context of the ancient Jewish world, you know, it's interesting. There's no group in the world that has survived through centuries of suffering and deportation, suffering and deportation like the Jews have. There have been massive social and demonic forces that have been at at play to extinguish the existence of the Jews as a people group. And it's a miracle that the Jews as a people group are still around today. Like like today, you don't have the Hittites around. You don't have the the Philistines around. You don't have the Assyrians around. But you do have the Jews that are still around. Now, I have to believe that a big part of this has to come through a certain grittiness, a certain, certain tenacity of holding on to their culture and to their faith. But there's a shadow side to this. 
And the shadow side to this is that when you fight so hard to protect and to preserve your culture and your faith, you start to develop a very strong insider culture. And the faith that is so precious and so dynamic and given to you to share with the entire world, the Jews started to develop this us versus them mentality. Walls came up. And so when God was sending his son into the world, keep in mind, it was a very divided world. It was us versus them. The Jews versus the Samaritans. Us versus them. The Jews versus the Gentiles. So let me tell you what I'd like to do in the short time that we have together. First of all, I'd like to show you how the wise men coming from the east is really good news for all people. Secondly, I'd like to reflect on how Jesus continued this good news for all people through his ministry, or at least he prepared the way for it. And then lastly, I'd like to reflect on what this means for all of us. So that brings us today to our passage in Matthew. It's it's a famous passage. It's part of the nativity story. You've heard it before, so I'm going to go through it quickly. Now, the first point I want to make is this. I'm, I'm being master of the obvious here, but I think it's worth noting. The magi, the wise men, were Persian. They, they were foreigners, you know. We're talking thick accents. We're talking food that would have been strange. We're talking a dress that would have been very foreign. So the Magi belonged to a priestly caste. They were learned men from Persia. They specialized in astrology, interpretation of dreams, magical arts, that sort of thing. Now I need to make this clear. Astrology, according to the Old Testament, is forbidden. In Leviticus 19.26 it says... Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not. Don't do it. It's forbidden. And then in Deuteronomy 18, it says that listening to astrologers is detestable. So just to make it clear in the Old Testament, when it comes to astrology, it's going to forbid, say, do not, and use words like detestable. Okay, and that makes room for our second point here. The wise men were astrologers. Now, the more and more I thought about this, the more I thought it was kind of funny. But the wise men were astrologers, so God is doing something scandalous. Not only does he invite these foreigners and outsiders to the the red egg and ginger party of his son, but he invites them through means of pagan astrology. And now, it's not clear to me uh, what the Magi saw. Verse 2, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now scholars have three theories to explain the astrological phenomenon that must have occurred. Okay, three theories. I'm going to introduce them really quickly. Here they are. Number one, it could have been a comet. Could have been a comet. Maybe that's the easiest explanation. Number two, others think it was a star that either went nova or supernova. Supernova being the explosion of a dying star emitting vast amounts of energy. So it could have been that. Either case, there was a tremendous amount of brightness in the night sky. Interestingly, Chinese astronomers recorded a supernova which was visible for about 70 days in about 44 or 5 BC. That's kind of interesting. Could have been that. But the last theory, I think this is my, my um, 
my favorite theory because it's kind of complex, but it comes together beautifully. The last theory is that it was a planetary conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. Now check this out. Check this out. Jupiter is the royal planet, okay? Saturn is thought to be a planet representing Palestine. Now, they were, they were put in, in part of a constellation called Pisces, which represents the last days. So put this all together. You got Jupiter, a royal king, coming, Saturn, to Palestine. And by the way, these are the last days, so you better get on over there. Now, we're not sure which one of these three it was. Maybe it wasn't one of these three. But everyone seems to agree that it wasn't a regular astronomical occurrence. It was out of the ordinary. It was very special. It, put it this way, for an astrologer, it moved the needle. It was big, big news. Which brings me to my third point, third observation, if you will. God moves the heavens for these magi in order to communicate with the magi. Now, I want you to think about it. Let's say of all three theories, it was the third one, my favorite, which is the planetary conjunction. I just want you to think about this. Okay, so God took a planet 1,300 times in size that of Earth. Okay, he took that planet, and they took another planet where one of the moons was bigger than planet Mercury, okay? Now, let's say, so he, he lassoed the first planet, and he lassoed the second one, and he pulled them together to fit strategically in alignment so that astrologers could get the message that they need to come, and he communicated through forbidden astrology. It's like, we really want you to come. Now, we talk about a figure of expression uh, moving heavenly bodies as a demonstration of love. You know, you can imagine a father saying, honey, I love you so much, I would lasso the moon for you. You know where that comes, actually? It's from George Bailey in A Wonderful Life. Uh, here's the quote. You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. God figuratively lassoed Jupiter and Saturn and pulled it down for a bunch of foreigners. It's like, you know how much I love you. You know how much I want you in. I'm lassoing Jupiter and Saturn to communicate to you, you need to come. I want you in. I want you in. So Herod and his court tell the wise men that the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem. It's about five miles down the street, so they go. Bethlehem at the time would have been a village of about 300 people. Now, uh, I want you to check this out. This is verse 9. Uh, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it, when it rose went before them. Now, check this out. Look, look. Went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Does, does anyone care to explain to me how that happened? I have no idea how that happened. And so I went to the commentary. And the commentary was basically like, yeah, we have no idea either. But look at this in the next verse. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's kind of redundant, right? It rejoiced, which means they were really crazy happy. Which means... 
whatever they saw was way out of the ordinary. We're talking um, supernatural, very deliberate, very intentional, blew them away. The, the, the Magi come presenting their gifts. They fall down in homage. They worship the newborn king. I do want to highlight they worship. Matthew wants you to know they worshiped. Now, let's do a quick review. God brings his son into the world. Very small group of people get an invitation to come and see. Very short list of people by special invitation only. And God invites Persians, foreigners, people with thick accents, foreign dress, foreign food, foreign customs, and they are people from the outside. Point number two, okay? Not only do they get invited, but they get invited through forbidden and detestable means. Point number three, in effect, God is moving the heavens to bring foreigners to come and see his son. God lassoed Jupiter and God lassoed Saturn for a bunch of foreigners. And if that wasn't enough, then he pinpoints which house his son is at through another extraordinary miracle. I don't know. just seems to me that God's doing an awful lot to invite a bunch of foreigners. Just, just by way of contrast here, we have a sitting president who says, why do people from asshole countries come over here? And the God of the universe is moving the heavens to invite foreigners over. I want them here. I want them in. Now, it kind of makes you wonder. Like, if this is how the life of God's son begins, then you kind of wonder how the rest of it will go. You expect Jesus Christ when he's, um, uh, 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 when he's a man in his adult life, you imagine that he's going to be traveling to all the nations. Interestingly, you don't see that in the life of Jesus. For most of the adult life of Christ, he stayed primarily in Israel. There was one time he said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Israel was his ministry. God made a covenant with Israel, and God is faithful to his promises. And so Jesus was faithful to one people group. But (laughs) even as he's faithful to one people group, the kingdom of God cannot possibly be contained. It is bursting with invitation. It's like giving an iPhone to a kid and saying, just five minutes. You know it's, not, it, it's going to go beyond that. Sorry, that's a bad illustration, but you get, you get my point. The gospel can't be contained. And so I'm going to give you three previews of an awakening that is to come for all people. Three previews of what is to come. These are previews of Jesus with foreigners. These are glimpses of an awakening that is to come. Well, the first one is in Matthew 8. It's with the centurion, and centurion has a servant who needs healing desperately, and so the centurion approaches Jesus, and Jesus said that he will come, but there's a problem. If Jesus Christ goes into the house of a Gentile, then, by the way, not just a Gentile, but a Roman oppressor, not just a Roman oppressor, but a man of violence, 
But the problem is that if Jesus says yes and goes to his house, Jesus is going to be ceremoniously unclean. The centurion realizes that and says, actually, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word and the miracle will be done. And Jesus marvels. Like, I haven't found one person in Israel with faith like you. And he's a Gentile. Now, check this out. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I tell you, I I can't imagine how the the, the Jews were, were feeling about this statement. I tell you, many will come from east and west. That sounds like all people to me. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outside darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, those of you who think you're in, actually, you're going to be on the outside. And all people from the outside will be coming in. First glimpse of an awakening that's going to happen. Here's a second glimpse. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus as teacher and storyteller. One of his most memorable parables of, of Jesus. You might uh, know this the more I describe it. But in this epic story, this epic parable, Jesus creates a story, three villains, one hero. Remember this? Three villains, one hero. Just so happened the three villains are Jewish Israelites. <laughs> And the one hero that everyone's supposed to emulate and admire and be like is a Samaritan. That's Jesus Christ. Once in, uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus was accused of two things. Number one, he was accused of being demon-possessed. Number two, he was accused of being a Samaritan. Now, if you look in John 5 and you look at the explanation of Jesus, Jesus defends himself from the accusation of being demon-possessed. But you keep on reading, and there's no defense about being a Samaritan, which is interesting. It makes you wonder. No, it doesn't make you wonder if Jesus was Samaritan, because he wasn't. But it does make you wonder, did he identify with the Samaritans so much that he didn't even bother to defend himself when he was accused of being a Samaritan? I'll give you a third glimpse, last glimpse. This is from John 12. For a long time, I always thought this passage was kind of weird. This is from John 12. Some Greeks want to see Jesus. And Greeks to the Jews were they were outsiders, others, Gentiles, pagans. Some Greeks wanted to see Jesus. And then you look at how Jesus responds when words get back to Jesus that some Greeks want to meet with him. You would expect Jesus to say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'd love to meet them. Send them right over. Jesus doesn't say that. Look what he says. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what does that mean? Well, it it means that the Jewish mission is coming to an end, and the Gentile mission is about to begin, and there is something that absolutely needs to happen before we can welcome every tribe and every nation, and that something that needs to happen is Jesus' death. Or put it another way, this mission is about to explode. And all these people are going to start coming in. But the one thing that must, be ha- that must happen is that sin must be paid for. And God's wrath must be appeased. So, what does this all mean? 
does this all mean? Church family, this is why we must take this message to the entire world. This is why we sent 29 people to TJ to build a house and to learn about global missions. This is why we're sending a team of 12 to Naga, India in March to go and to love on orphans. This is why we have a perspectives class in January so we can learn more about global missions. This is why we have to see the world differently. This is why we don't see the world like most Americans do. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. Most Americans see the world like this. America first. I don't know, but I actually find this map a little bit funny because in order to put America first, what do you have to do? You have to split Asia in half. And the map maker has no problem doing that. Just split Asia in half so we can put America first. We read the news and it's all about America. When a tragedy happens in America, the whole world needs to know about it. What we call our finals in baseball, by the way, the World Series. Is the world really participating? No, but we call it the World Series. Uh, I remember going to like a remote place and there, there was a restaurant that says, our pie is world famous. I'm like, really? Like, the villager in China, like, has tasted your pie and love, you know? I, I wonder if when God looks at the world, I wonder if God sees something more like this. I wonder if third world countries have his first world concern. I wonder if when God thinks of the world, he thinks of the 1040 window, the stretch of land that runs through North North Africa, Middle East, and Asia, an area with the highest socioeconomic challenges and the lowest access to the Christian message. I wonder if that is how we should see the world too. I wonder if young people should not just think about how can I serve the needs of America, but across the world. I wonder if parents should dream new dreams for their kids. Not success, not comfort, but I want my kids to be world changers. I wonder if retired people should consider moving overseas to do missions. And the invitation is that Jesus Christ came into the world and he died for our sins. So everyone who is on the outside gets an invitation to come into the family of God, to know his forgiveness and to know his eternal love. This is good news. It is good news not just for one tribe, but for every tribe. This is good news not just for one people group, but for all people groups. This is good news for the orphan in Naga. This is good news for the college student in Vietnam. This is good news for the people in Indonesia ravaged by the tsunami. This is good news for the Mexican family that we built a house for last weekend. This is good news for all of you who have ever felt like you don't belong. Good news for the outsider. Good news for the other. Good news for those people. Anyone really here who's not Jewish. 
good news for you and for me. Jesus Christ died so that all people can be invited into God's family. And during this Christmas time, we celebrate that. Pray with me. Father God, during this Christmas time, we want to say thank you for the giving of your son. There was a time when it really felt like you were the God of one people group, good for them but bad for all of us. But we know your heart. You're a God who would lasso Jupiter and lasso Saturn just to invite the foreigners in. You are a God who would pay the ultimate price just to get us in your family and in your kingdom. And so Christmas time, we remember that. The price that you paid, the vision that you gave, your tremendous heart for all people. And in Jesus' name, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.